Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden, and this is Kirsty, and we today are talking about, wait for it, wait for it, it's jazz hands, medical necessity. So So that I know beyond excitement, right? Everybody's on the edge of your seat. Just try to contain the excitement. But here's the real deal. It's It's critical. It's critical. (laughs) So why are we doing this about medical necessity? Because it is critical. And because a lot of times what happens is we think, oh, the insurance company should pay for this because we said so. But that doesn't really. That's not not enough. Not good enough. (laughs) So yay, you're a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, or a physical therapist. But just because you say they need it, is not going to mean they're going to pay for it. I mean, when I say they, I mean the insurance company. You have to say why this service is medically necessary. And that means needed by a skilled therapist, right. meaning mom can't do it, the nurse can't do it, nobody else can provide that care except you. Right. And what we have sometimes heard from insurance companies is they'll say, and this is insurance companies, not just like one, like all or some. They've said, you know, hey, so you're working on this child tying shoes. Well, anybody can work on tying shoes. Why does he need skilled intervention to do that? Because if you, you could say to anybody, hey, so here, practice this at home. And anybody can do that. And YouTube the video. Can't. Exactly. So, but why can't they tie their shoes? Is there underlying bilateral hand coordination problem? Is there a core issue and the child can't sit upright or they can't bring their foot up close enough to their hands to tie their shoes? Is there lack of hand strength? Um, you know, what? that's what the OT does. The outcome is tying the shoes, but the OT makes it so they can do what they got to do with their body to tie the shoes in a nutshell, right? Boom, drop the mic like a home. No, there's more to it than that. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so what we're going to do today is we're going to break it down for you. We are. Um, just for the basics so you can better understand what you need to justify skilled intervention for your therapy services. Yeah. And I won't ramble on because this is not a ramble on type of podcast. Not that I ever do that anyway. No, this is kind of short, sweet, and to the point. So you have to know that you're providing a skilled service. You complete the evaluation. You determine whether it's through formal or informal assessment. And don't forget your informal assessment that it comes down to your clinical judgment as a skilled therapist Mm -hmm. um, and that you are working to ameliorate a condition, a diagnosis, or a symptom. That is the language from off the CMS website. That is the definition of of what medical necessity for an OTPT and speech. And you don't really hear that word so much in the speech therapy world. I think you hear it more in the OTPT world. So when you're documenting skill necessity, you have to be providing skilled therapy. You complete the evaluation. You determine through formal and informal assessment what is needed for this child to ameliorate the diagnosis or the condition. Your goal is to make it better. That's what the word ameliorate means. That's what you're doing as a skilled therapist. You're not looking to cure a diagnosis. Mm -mm. You're looking to make it better. So that's the whole key, though, to medical necessity. If someone's reading your vow and they can't figure that out, you need to go back and write answer the question. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And then your goal plan has to be fine functional to make it better. Mm -hmm. So when they are looking at approving this for insurance purposes, in North Carolina, we're talking about 
primarily Medicaid, but it, it, we have to abide by all insurance rules. So something that would be unskilled therapy would be it's not supported by the doctor. It can be carried out by the caregiver. If it's repetitive in nature, meaning just practice, 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 that's not skilled. If it doesn't utilize practice standards, obviously it's not it's, skilled it's, therapy. If it doesn't follow the right uh, frequency and duration, yes. the appropriate frequency and duration. Yep. And yep. so that would be unskilled. I mean, you could practice a movement, but if it's just, if you're just doing therapy to do the same thing over and over again, that's not right. But if you're practicing a skill that the child just learned, that's Well, and practicing a skill that the child just learned, but they need physical tactile cues right. to be able to perform it. Now right. you're doing neuromuscular re-ed, which is a skilled service. Yes. yes. So it always comes back to what you're doing as a therapist. Yes. And in the speech therapy world, that looks like, okay, say this child just learned how to say the S sound in the single words and phrases and sentences. And now that you're going to give the homework, they're going to practice sentences in the home. So they're practicing in the home. But then as a speech therapist, you're constantly looking to say, okay, now they can do it in sentences. Now we're, we're moving up to conversation. No, they still need more practice in sentences. Okay, they've got this S in the initial position in sentences, but they still don't have the right manner or tongue placement for the S in the final position of sounds and sentences. That's what you're doing. They're practicing at home, but you're still getting the correct tongue placement or the right airflow for that S in mm -hmm. that particular situation. That's your job. And that's why mm -hmm. they still need you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they were able to do it in all positions and they just had to practice you're looking at discharge. That's I just think discharge a, with a home program. <laughs> yeah, amen. There you go. And that, that's, hey, you did it. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important then throughout your evaluation, you have to determine why are they coming into you? What is the functional deficit? Mm -hmm. What can't they do? Mm -hmm. And then what is the impairment? Why can't they do it? So that's what you're doing through the evaluation process. A functional deficit is measurable. It's observable by everybody. And it can be addressed by more than one person. So it can be addressed by the nursing staff. It can be addressed by a doctor, a therapist. That's a functional deficit. The underlying impairment is the measurable part that we perform a standardized test on to determine why they can't perform that functional deficit. So if I want to give a particular PT example, let's say a patient has a limp and they can't walk more than 100 feet without taking a break. You can observe that, Hayden, as mm -hmm. a speech therapist. Mm -hmm. The nurse can observe that. The parent can say, hey, they can't walk more than 100 feet. Right. That's observable by everybody. That is that patient's functional deficit. Now the skilled provider comes in, the skilled PT comes in to say, here's why they can't walk that far. And the impairment might be um, they have a swollen knee. You can measure that swollen knee and determine that that's impaired. There is lack of knee extension when they strike their heel. So we have lack of full range of motion. PT can observe that. They have 4 out of 10 pain at rest, 7 out of 10 pain with ambulation. PT measured the pain scale. We have quad strength of 3 plus out of 5 with manual muscle test with pain. Again, that's a measurement of an impairment. So they have a weakness. So those are all examples for, hey, this functional deficit, the patient can't walk, Here's the underlying impairment that's measurable by a PT, and these are the reasons why they can't walk, justifying skilled intervention. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's the same thing for a speech therapist. If they're, for a language example, you've got a child who's three, he or she can't be understood by others. At three years of age, you should be able to use full sentences, and most of what you said should be understood by others. Say this child can't be understood by others, and he only uses single words or two-word phrases. 
So anybody can see that they can't be understood. Anybody can see that they can't use a multiple word phrase. So now the speech therapist has to figure out why can't they be understood by others and why are they only using a couple words together in a sentence, right? Same kind mm -hmm. of thing. Because you want to keep in mind a functional deficit, hey, they can't walk, that, can, that needs intervention, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the nurse can get them up out of bed and keep them walking and build endurance and that sort of thing. They can do sit to stands from the bed. The impairment needs skilled intervention. Yeah. So the impairment, the lack of range of motion needs to be done by a PT. Mm -hmm. The specific three plus out of five impairment in strength needs to be addressed by a skilled PT. What activities are they going to have them do? Quad sets, sit to stand transfers to build that quad strength. So those are being addressed by a skilled PT. Yep. And for OT, for an example, child can't write their name. The child can't write on a line. They're six years of age. They can't write their name within like a, a certain box. Say they can write their name, but it can't fit within like a line sheet of paper. They can't stay within the lines. They can't write like their spelling words all down on a sheet of paper because they're all over the piece of paper. They have no like spacing. They have no adherence to the line. None of that kind of stuff. So anybody can see that's a problem. I could pick up that piece of paper. You could pick up that piece of paper. We knew the one are OTs and we know, hey, this kid's got a problem with handwriting, but why do they have this handwriting problem? Do they have a visual issue? Like are their eyes working together? Are they got a visual motor problem? Do they have a hand weakness problem? Do they have a shoulder or a, or a upper body weakness problem so they can't like no stability so that they can write? Core problem. Why is it they can't write? Anybody can see the problem, but why is it they can't write? So figure out why they can't and then working on the deficit areas. That's what a skilled OT does. Right. So in your report, it's important to put on the vowel what they can do because that gives the context of kind of where they are. You know, so if another OTPT or speech person is reading that avow, you know, of the same discipline, the context of what they can do kind of gives that therapist the sort of the context of where they are. Like I could say he's functioning at two years of age, but then what does that really mean? Because that's the whole like, like there's a gamut of skills at two years of age, you know, mm -hmm. so what exactly, exactly does that mean? And then really it should be able to give any other professional that picks up an idea of what they can do, like their strengths and stuff. And then what they can't do, which tells me specifically what are the deficit areas? Not that they just can't write their name or not that they just can't say these sounds or not that they can't put multiple words in a sentence or not that they can't walk this far, but I will put that in there, but other issues that cause that impairment problem. Well, and the what can't they do mm -hmm. is the reason they need you. Yes. So yep. the what can't they do is that functional deficit. They mm -hmm. can't write on a line. They can't put multiple words on a line. Now, the skilled intervention is needed to address the why. Yes. The why they can't do it. And it's really, really important, too, to list any comorbidities, complexities, social circumstances that may be impeding this, and why the frequency or duration is being expressed and why yes why you're recommending that rate for this child based on the comorbidities based on you have to circle back around and make it all make sense for the person reading that evaluation and explain why so if you're only given a standardized test say you give a standardized test from that standardized assessment i, I mean you can't just give a standardized test. Let me just go ahead and say it. You can't just do that. You have to, you have to, there has to be more. put the pieces <laughs> together because, okay, say they got, for speech example, they got two standard deviations below the norm for expressive receptive skills. But so what does that really mean? So the medical necessity part is the why. What, why, what does that really mean? So they can't put multiple words together. Big whoop, you know? I mean, what does that mean? What's the impairment? What is the impact on other things? And so I think that helps feed into the why? What, you have to be able to put the pieces together to explain why 
like in the impact, right? Mm -hmm. The impact. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And that's the medical necessity piece too. So you have justified why they need therapy and you have justified the need for skilled intervention and then you have to have a goal plan to support it. So that mm -hmm. moves us into SMART goals. SMART goals, following that I think is key and, and really important and really insurance companies are looking for that now to be the norm, not the exception like SMART goals. So it's an acronym, mm -hmm. SMART goal. It has to be specific. It has to be measurable. Because if you can't measure it, how are you going to show improvement? Exactly. It has to be attainable. Mm -hmm. It has to be relevant, meaning in the scope of your practice. And it has to be time constrained. So there has to be a reasonable end. So typically in our world for a pediatric population, we're looking at six months, generally speaking. Yeah, that's how long a general goal plan is. And for relevant, yeah, it does have to be in the scope of practice, but also relevant and impactful in their life. You know, which would be, of course, in your scope of practice. Yeah. So within six months, the insurance company, basically, they want to know, okay, you started therapy today, six months later, wait, what can they do now they couldn't do six months ago? And you better be able to show something. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or there better be a good reason why not. So when you're writing a goal, you have to have the functional deficit component because that's what they can't do. Mm -hmm. The impairment. So what are you addressing mm -hmm. to get to that point? And then the time frame. So if we're going back to the patient that can't walk over 100 feet, then the functional deficit is the patient will walk 300 feet exhibiting full knee extension with heel strike in two months. That has all of those components. You're working on increasing the ambulation distance to household or community ambulation or whatever is appropriate for that person's specific goals and then addressing the actual impairment. So that's where your skill is going to come in. So we know for that patient, we have to work on range of motion. So if your goal sounds something like child will improve speech to sound clearer to others, that's not a very good goal. Or just the word improve, like it's not really that measurable and it's not specific and it doesn't really tell you anything I'll be working on. I guess I have the with others thing happening there, but still it's, it's not a measurable, not specific. And it's and not really defined. No, it's not defined at all. Well, let's hope he's going to speech therapy. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so if I was to see a goal like that, I'm like, and I was a speech therapist. Like, well, so what do you want me to do with him? Like, right. I got to reevaluate because I don't know what's happening with this kid. And I know sometimes like, especially working in a school system, you see the words like least restrictive, maximum mm -hmm. function, maximize level, highest level attainable. Those are kind of like cop-out goals. Well, like and, you have to state mm -hmm. something you need. You, what are you reaching the maximum level? What does that mean for that particular patient? Uh, it's very vague. Yeah. I'd, How do you, know, you measure that? I don't know. When you, whenever I see that kind of thing, you know, what I always think about is like Rocky and the whole like going to the top of the steps. I mean, what, what does that mean? Like, dun, 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 dun. like, when do you get to play the music? You know, I don't really know. You know, I, just, I, don't, I don't get it. So I'm thinking I don't I need to know when to play the music. Cue music. But I don't know when to, it's just maximal potential. <laughs> His maximal potential and mine are very different, you know? Anyway, well, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think there's another concept too in goal writing, and I think we see it sometimes in the pediatric world. It's called the ICE model for goal writing. You're either improving the impairment, you're mm -hmm. compensating for the impairment, mm -hmm. or you're doing an environmental adaptation. Hmm. I think those are considerations that you have to make to, again, achieve that highest level of function. But, and Hayden, we've talked about this some in the world of talking about reflex integration, because that's come up a little bit um, lately. In the PT world, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so at some point, you know, you have an, a child that's older, are those reflexes going to integrate? Or is the wiring 
going to be what it is. And now we have to teach them a compensatory strategy so that they can functionally engage in their environment with that reflex. So I think that that's really important to kind of consider that ice model when you're writing goals. If you're working on feeding with a child with a cleft lip and palate and you're working on bottle drinking, well, if they're missing the soft and the hard palate, you know, and they have a cleft palate. They're not going to ever be able to achieve negative pressure. They don't have the top roof of their mouth, and so they can't do it. So you have to automatically go with the compensatory strategy. Positive pressure, they're not going to achieve negative pressure. So that's not part of it. So you're going to have to do some environmental modifications with the bottle, some compensatory strategies. Can they be functional eaters? Absolutely. But there's got to be some other things that happen because they can't get the negative pressure. Not going to happen. So that's just a little aside on goals because that's part of the plan and part of needing skilled intervention. Look up SMART goals. There's tons of examples about those. And I think that kind of way to write goals is actually taught, you know, in graduate school nowadays. And if it's not, then those of us who've been out of graduate school for a long time have certainly caught up to that because I don't know if I heard it when I was in graduate school. I mean, I've heard it for so long, it's hard to remember graduate school or not because I've been out for a while. But um, anyway, it's just now it sort of gets to be your normal. It's the way you think and it should be how you think. And really from the insurance company's perspective and the therapist's perspective, I need to be able to show some improvement and better. Otherwise, I'm just kind of wasting their time. And that's not what my job is. Right. Help make things get better. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important, too, that when you are now, you've done the evaluation, you've developed a goal plan. Now, every single visit, Mm -hmm. you have to justify and document your skilled intervention. That's what happens in your daily note that you do every single session, every time you see this patient. And basically, you're saying why it's still medically necessary every single time. Why are they coming to you? Mm -hmm. Why why haven't we discharged? Mm -hmm. So your documentation is supporting that. Where that comes into play is in your objective portion of your daily note. We use a soap note format here at PDT. So that O section is not what the patient did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes we see, oh, the patient played with putty. The patient, that's not the skilled intervention. The skilled intervention is what you, the therapist, are providing. It's the techniques that you are doing. So when you're documenting skilled intervention, the words you use are key. You're analyzing, assessing, adjusting, modifying, adapting, instructing, upgrading, progressing, incorporating, facilitating, modeling, normalizing, reducing, inhibiting. Those are all key critical words in that objective portion of your daily note that says what you did, why they came to you for therapy, not why they're at home with mom. They're all verbs. Mm-hmm. I-N-G. Do. Do. Doing. They're doing words. Hayden doing. and I say all the time we're therapists. We're doers. We're doing, that's what doing. we do. What we did you do. do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the key word there. What are you going to do? What did you do? <laughs> you, that's, not the child. Right. What did you, you do? To help the child achieve that goal. That's how you justify your services every single time. But that, again, it, it all goes back to the what can they do? What can't they do? What can't they do? Why can't they do it? And then how are you going to do it as the goals? The why, why, why is what your standardized and your informal assessment has determined of why they can't and then why do they need you, the justification for how you're going to help them do what they can't do. Some of the keywords to avoid, and and I have seen them. I have come across them in daily notes. You know, they're reporting no change, little change, steady progress. Patient is not compliant. I'm like, they're three. 
then stop doing what you're doing and do something different. Yeah. If they're not compliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or they're remaining the same. Our Anything goal, else. Our goal is not that the child remains the same, that we're yeah. showing progress and yeah. improvement. So I know this is kind of a nitty gritty topic. Um, it's not that fun to talk about, mm. but it's really, really important. We live in an insurance gatekeeping society. That's, that's what it is. I mean, a long time ago, long time ago, you just said, hey, I'm evaluating this kid and he needs speech therapy and you didn't have to justify squat diddly nothing. You know, he needs speech therapy and then they paid for it. But that's not the world we live in. We live in gatekeeping insurance and that's what it is. And so it's all comes down to the cost because that's really what an insurance company does. The family has contracted with this insurance company and the insurance company is going to pay for these services. And so you have to justify why they need it. That's it. And so that's really what it comes down to. So this is the world we live in. Make friends with it. It's not going anywhere, at least not right this minute. And so that's what we do. And it does make sense. At the end of the day, you should have a reason for why you're going to do what you're going to do. Definitely. If you don't have a reason, then you need to not do it. <laughs> I had a CF one time ask me, this has been a very long time ago, but she goes, so why are you doing that? <laughs> and I was like, good for you. Rock on. You should be asking me, why are you doing that? You know, as a CF, she needed to. I, I wasn't bothered by it at all. But then I explained it to her and she's like, oh, okay, good. But so I was like, yeah, good for you. You should ask me why. Why are you doing that? If I can't tell you, that's a problem. Yeah. That's medical necessity. Whoop, whoop. So a couple other podcasts related to this topic and, you know, they've got jazz hands. Yay with it too. And you can find our podcast on the workingtherapist.com or our website, pediatricdt.com and then go to the working therapist, click on that little button there. But you'll see a bunch of podcasts, but two specifically are Private Practice Documentation Simplified, where we talk all about documentation. It was a good one. I enjoyed it. Anyway, and then Medical Coding for Therapy Services. Both of those tie into specifically what we talked about today. And there you go. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.